hello to you, and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols, and this is episode 169. It's titled, It's the Thought That Counts. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. How are things, folks? Have you had a good month? We had a bank holiday last week and another one next week and another one at the end of May. So if you're lucky enough to get the bank holiday Mondays off, then it's a great time right now. We just need to take advantage of it. So it's the thought that counts. That's the title of today's episode. And I don't mean other people thinking about you. That's not what I mean by it's the thought that counts. And I mentioned this to somebody recently. I said, oh, I think I'm gonna, my next episode is going to be called It's the Thought That Counts. And you said, oh, is that about presents and accepting gifts and things? I thought, no, I just wanted to capture your attention with a, with, a, with a title that was a familiar phrase. What I'm interested in is about how your thinking is what counts towards whether an experience is a good one, a bad one, or simply just is. And with some really quite extreme situations too, which I might give you a trigger warning about. And I've been thinking about this topic for quite a long time actually, and I've been a bit wary about it because I don't want it to come across as if it's your own fault if we feel bad because something has happened to us. I'll never forget something the uh, the, the pianist James Rhodes said once in an interview, I don't know whether you're aware of James Rhodes, he's a pianist, lives in Spain. Um, James was regularly sexually abused as a young boy, quite violently. And when he finally mentioned it to a family member, I think his aunt, as an, when he was an adult, she said to him, well, you were a very good looking little boy. As if that's relevant. As if it's not the abuser that was at fault, as if it was his own fault for being cute. And of course, she probably just didn't know what to say, and so that was the first thing that popped into her mind. But I don't want to come across in the same way and belittle someone's experiences and say, oh, you were traumatised, I'll just try thinking differently about it, because that's not quite how the brain works. But by understanding a little bit about how the brain works, which, to be honest... um, uh, a little bit a little bit is still all we've got really the more that we learn about the brain the more we realize there's still more left to learn but by understanding a little bit about how the brain works it might help us to find some hope that we're not going to be stuck in our grief or our past forever anyway something happened to me just before christmas that reminded me of a few things and that's how long i've been mulling this episode over so I'm doing a spot of washing up and there's an odd smell coming from the sink. It's a bit weird, not something I'd smelt before and I thought it was just a bit blocked with something or whatever so I stuck some Mr Muscle or whatever down there, tried to unbung it. But it didn't seem to go away and my wife said that it seemed to get worse when you opened up the cupboard underneath the sink so I pull everything out looking for a water leak in case there's a, some dirty puddle under there or something and there's nothing. It's dry and clean and fresh as a daisy so... I put everything back. And because I've been cleaning, it now smells of disinfectant and so on. So the smell appears to have gone. Next day, there it is again. And so I'm I'm sniffing about. Literally sniffing around, trying to work out what it is. And my wife is sniffing about and none of us can come, come up with anything. Call my son in. Here, Billy, have a sniff at this. 
No, I don't know. What's that? That's weird. And every day, it's as if this smell gets worse. But it's a smell that none of us recognised. So we, we keep on taking these big, deep sniffs, trying to work it out. And after over a week of this, I'm debating taking off the kickboard underneath the cupboards because something's clearly fell behind there. I don't know if it's a carrot or a Mars bar or whatever, but there, there's something there. So we unscrew it. And boy, was I glad it was winter. Because behind there, as I'm sure you've probably worked out for yourself, was a big, dead, hairy, rotting rat. I haven't a clue how it got there. But got there it did. And get out it couldn't. So it died. And then started to smell. So I fished it out and got rid of it. But the smell stayed for a little while. Best part of a week. Now previously... Me and my wife are sniffing that smell and wondering what it was. Big, deep, wondering sniffs. But now, now that we know what the smell was, it's suddenly repulsive. The disgust reflex has been activated in the brain now and is associated with that smell. And just the thought of the smell is enough to turn our stomach. Every now and again, one of us would say, I can't believe a rat got in and died in our kitchen. And the other one would reply, I know, I feel sick just thinking about it. Because we did. We literally felt sick thinking about it. And me talking about it might have made you feel a little bit sick. Maybe. Yet when we didn't have the thought that the smell was a dead rat, when we were just curious, that smell was just curiosity. There was no emotional or visceral reaction. So there was no disgust. Nothing. That's how the brain works. Given the right meaning behind a stimulus, we can change our mind about something and switch on emotions we don't even want. And there might be many meanings to the things we come across in life. If your friend doesn't reply to a text message, what's the meaning behind it? Well, it could be one of many meanings. They're busy. They forgot. They hate you. You've upset them. They're dead in a ditch. Or you just forgot to tap send. It depends on the meaning behind it that creates the emotional response. And if we can find a healthier meaning, then we can create a healthier response. When I was about 18, I used to present radio programmes to my local hospital. And often the next presenter would come in about sort of 10 minutes before the end of the show and you'd have a bit of a chat on air. And this girl, this girl called Sarah... Hello, Sarah. If you ever listen to this, if you remember me from all these years ago, she might have stumbled across me on the podcasts. Well, anyway, Sarah came in because she was on next. I had a bit of a laugh and a joke. As, as I signed off, I said something like, So, after the eight o'clock news, the dulcet tones of our Sarah will be here to lull you into the night hours, so it's goodbye from me. Possibly not with that sort of Tony Blackburn-affected voice, but you know, maybe it was. Well, anyway, I've described her voice as having dulcet tones and said goodbye and played Whitney Houston or whatever and then went into the news. And as we swapped seats, Sarah said, why did you have to say that? You did that last week. That's twice you've put me down and made me out to be a fool. And I just blinked and said, what? And she explained that she was annoyed because I'd described her voice as dull. She'd heard the phrase dulcet tones all of maybe all of her life and she'd always assumed it meant sounding dull rather than dulcet so what i actually said was irrelevant 
because the meaning behind it was different for her. She had her own perspective that reality had to fit around, and this happens everywhere. If your boss shouts at you, is it because you're bad at your job or they're bad at their job? Is it because their daughter is off sick from school with something potentially life-threatening? Is it because they had a massive argument that morning before they left the house? Often it depends on how you see it. If you think your boss is rude, then that's the reason. If you think you're not good at your job, then that's the reason. And we do need to challenge these things sometimes, or try and find a better perspective on what life throws at us, because it's the thought that counts. And actually... In the most unlikeliest of places. There's a tribe of people in Papua New Guinea called the Sambia people. And trigger warning, I'm going to tell you what happens to the boys in the tribe in preparation to becoming men. And from our perspective, it is abuse. To me, it's violent and sexual child abuse. Hence the trigger warning. Come back to this episode at a later date if this topic pushes buttons. So, for generations, the Sambia people have believed that boys are born intersex. They're neither male nor female yet. That being nurtured and given milk by their mother keeps them female. And once that stops, they can then become male. But... Not until they've taken part in multiple week-long rituals. So for a boy to become a man, firstly he needs to bleed. So his nose is punched. Sharp sticks are forced up his nostrils to ensure that it has a severe enough nosebleed to be constantly bleeding for a while. This is all aged about 10, by the way. This is a 10-year-old boy. And then there's a week-long ritual of oral sex. The boy has to ingest as much semen as he can in the week in order to be able to then his body to be able to produce his own and become a man in the future. And this happens time after time for about three years until the boy starts puberty himself. But the men involved don't see it as abusive. It's just a rite of passage. They went through it themselves. And although they can all be upset when they were young, It doesn't leave any permanent psychological damage. And this fascinates me. Because that experience is clearly dreadful. But what is it about their experience that prevents them from having awful post-traumatic stress disorder and attachment issues and fear and anxiety? Can we learn from that? Because clearly it's not necessarily what happens to us that causes personality disorders or PTSD, it's how we think about it at the time. And that's the problem. Because we can't change the past. We can't change our experiences, our memories. Nor can we. Could we trick our brain into thinking something different has happened to us, even though we know full well what the truth is? Well, actually, yes, we can. And that's what false memories are. Given the right circumstances, false memories can be quite easy to create in someone because we can't trust our memories. I've said it before that memories don't really exist. They're just a combination of knowledge and imagination. And it's amazing how we can actually use our imagination to not just change our memories, but our knowledge too. Or at least what we think of 
as our knowledge. Belief. I guess it's belief. We can change our beliefs. And there's been many experiments over the years that show this, and I love them. They're so weird. It just goes to show how suggestible we are. And some of them are really, really simple. You ask people to watch a video of a car accident. Not a big accident, just a bump. And you can easily change their memory about how fast the cars were going in the video with just one word. What you do is you simply ask them one of five questions. Either about how fast were the cars going when they contacted each other. Or you ask them about how fast were the cars going when they smashed each other. Or when they collided, bumped or hit each other. And depending on whether you use the word smashed, collided, bumped, hit or contacted, it changes the speed that people guess when they replay the memory in their imagination. The average answer to smashed was 40.8 miles per hour, collided was 39.3, bumped was 38.1, hit was 34, and contacted was 31.8, yet they all saw the same video. Elizabeth Loftus was the first to do this, and it's been replicated again and again because it's hilarious. And she did the same sort of thing with a similar experiment with just one of two questions this time. How fast was the car going when they hit each other? Or how fast was the car going when they smashed each other? And the same thing happened. But that wasn't what they were monitoring. What they did is went back to the people one week later with a questionnaire to fill in. Ten questions about the accident. And nine of them were just filler. They were just stuff they weren't really interested in. They were only interested in how they answered this one question. Did you see any broken glass? Yes or no? Now in the video, there was no broken glass. But 32% of people in the smashed question said they did. But only 14% in the hit question said they did. And the control group, who weren't asked about speed at all at the time, was only 12%. So we can be led to believe almost anything given the right circumstances. And knowing that our brain is this flexible or stupid can be very hopeful. Because it shows us that we're not fixed. We can have a growth mindset not a fixed mindset like I was on about in the Patreon-only episode the other day, if you get that. And with the idea of a growth mindset rather than a fixed one, we can recognise we have a brain that's capable of growing too, rather than being fixed and stuck in our memories, no matter how horrific they are. They can change. And if you feel you need to change, then see a professional. To help you through it, the UKCP and BACP have a huge register of psychotherapists and counsellors that can help you, myself included. And many of us work online through video chat software, so if there's a therapist you really like, you might not have to travel either. I even use hypnosis in my online sessions with clients, which, when used properly, can have a wonderful effect. I say when used properly because there have been a few famous cases of priests using hypnosis to help uncover issues in people. And they weren't trained. They didn't didn't have a clue what they were doing. They weren't therapists. They weren't psychotherapists. They had no idea what they were doing with language. And because hypnosis accelerates learning, 
the effect of the suggestions like those experiments with changing a word in a question to influence a memory have an even greater effect. But if what well, this is awful, but what if, if the priest is suggesting you to think, well, do you remember being abused? Well, then guess what memories you're going to create. And people were arrested. It was huge news. And it's happened quite a few times over the last sort of 30 or 40 years. Not good. Uh, but that's not what we do with hypnosis. We do things better than that if you're a trained professional. So before I go, a quick podcast recommendation for you. If you haven't already stumbled across Dr. Shan Hussein's podcast, then do look him up. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to his podcast. It's called Enduring Health, and it's well worth a listen. He interviewed me a couple of weeks ago. Great guy with some brilliant guests. Highly recommended. Anyway, I'll love you and leave you for now. Remember, if you want more regular episodes from me, please do consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com slash Richard Nichols. There's links all over the place. And you'll get exclusive episodes every Monday morning. And it's only about a fiver per month. And you'll get some hypnosis tracks too. So sign up. Again, the link is in the show notes. Otherwise, I'll speak to you in June. Enjoy your month, folks. Bye for now.